In the name of Jesus. Amen. A new commandment I give to you. That's what Jesus says. On this night, some 1900 years ago, a new mandate I give to you. That's how we get Monday. Mandate Thursday. It's kind of a legalistic thing. But if we look at it, we see that it's really quite wonderful. For on this night that Jesus was being betrayed by his disciples, on this night when he would be handed over to be whipped and crucified, spit upon, mocked, despised, when all of this stuff would, on that night, Jesus was concerned not for himself, but for his disciples. So concerned, even about their dirty feet. He stands up from the table. He takes off his outer garment. He wraps a towel around himself. And he comes to his disciples to wash their feet. Such humility is just about unheard of. Apparently, I don't remember where I heard this, but apparently uh, in the ancient world that there was a couple of things, a, a disciple was basically like a slave, you see, but there was a couple of things that even a disciple wouldn't do. A disciple wouldn't draw water and a disciple wouldn't wash feet. But here Jesus comes to wash his disciples' feet. It should have been a servant in the home to do it. And if they wouldn't have done it, the disciples should have said, this after all is Jesus. We should be serving him. We should be giving to him. But he comes to give. Jesus comes not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Peter's helpful for, for us here. I mean, even though he sticks his foot in his mouth twice, it's helpful for us. Because he helps us understand what's going on. Uh, Jesus comes to Peter and Peter says, No way, Jesus, no way. You're not washing my feet. It's too humble for you. It's too humiliating. It's too disgusting. No, you can't do it. This, I think, is... I mean, we, we want to feel for Peter because it, it looks like he's pious. It looks like Peter maybe has it right, that he's the one that understands what's going on. But listen to what Jesus says to him. He says, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. We, we have that same sort of temptation. I, I think we do anyways. Where we say, no, no, Jesus, look, it's not for you to come and serve us. It's not for you to do all this to, to, to take care of me. I, I want to serve you. I want to praise you. I want to extol you. I want to give you gifts. But Jesus says, no, I have to come and give you gifts. It's not like we're the wealthy ones and Jesus is poor so that he needs something that we have. No. Jesus is defined by his coming to us to give us gifts. But then we're like Peter on the other way. Remember what he says? I have to, unless I wash your feet, you have no part of me. So Peter says, well then wash my whole body. If you're going to serve me, Jesus, serve me the way I want you to. Give me this and that. Here's a whole list of the things that I need or the things that I want or the things that I'd like to have. You can serve me that way. But Jesus says to Peter, look, you're, you're, you're bathed. You don't need to be washed head to toe, just your feet. In other words, I'll, I'll decide how to serve you. I'll decide what you need. I'll decide what gifts will get you through this sinful world. I'll, I'll decide what medicine to give to cure you. 
And that brings us to the Lord's Supper. For Jesus, when He gives to the disciples His last will and testament, is giving to them and to us, to His church, precisely what we need. His body, His blood, and our forgiveness. It's His last will and testament. You know, uh, a will... A will is there for the giving out of a person's treasure. When they die, they have a will that says, all of my riches, all of my wealth, all of my whatever, my car and my house will go to this person and that person so that upon their death, those whom he, who, who the person loves will receive joy and benefit. And that's the same way it is with Jesus. This is a New Testament in my blood, he says. In other words, this is my last will. This is my inheritance given to you, his church. But, but there's even a more intimate connection between the death of Jesus and this will. Because not only does the death of Jesus begin the giving out of this will, the death of Jesus is precisely the thing that wins the treasures that are given out. And we rejoice in that this Monday, Thursday. The anniversary of the giving of this testament that Jesus has bequeathed to His church an inheritance that is seemingly boundless in His generosity. What in the world is of greater treasure than what Jesus gives us from the altar? We've asked this question before, haven't we? If someone were to come into here and they would say, okay, stop the service for a little bit and have a voters' assembly because I have to ask you a question as a church. And the question they want to ask is, how much money do you guys want if you would give me just a little bit of Jesus' blood? How much are you selling the blood of Jesus for? I've got uh, $10,000 here. Will you take it? I've got twenty. I've got forty. I've got a million. I've got... Two million. I've got a billion dollars. How much is it going to cost for me to buy the blood of Jesus? How much is it worth? What is the value? We began to realize that if someone could walk in here and offer us the whole world, it would not be enough. If someone could somehow pile up all the wealth of all of the universe and dump it right down here in front of us and say, you guy, it's yours for the taking. Have at it. It wouldn't even compare. There is no way to, to, to calculate the value of what Jesus gives us in the treasure of His testament, of His last will, of His body and blood. But there's a tragedy, dear Christians, and that is this. We have to acknowledge it on this night that most churches, in fact, most Christians have never had this gift They've never tasted the body or the blood of Jesus. They've never received their inheritance. I mean, imagine it. Imagine that there's a man, the most generous man that's ever lived in the world. And this man is marked by a generosity that, that knows no bounds. And this man loves his children. And so he puts in his will the most marvelous treasures, all of his treasures to the children. And this child rejoices in the generosity of his father his whole life. Another child does the same and, and, and is thankful to his father for his inheritance. But there's a, there's a third child who when he heard the will didn't believe it. He didn't believe that his father would leave him that. 
didn't believe that his father, his will gave over what it is. And so he lived his whole life in squalor, in poverty, living in a shack, eating one meal a day that he pulled out of the trash can, dressed in rags, covered in head to toe in filth because he didn't believe the words of generosity in the will of his father. Can you imagine it? And you're looking at that and you want to weep, to cry because of the tragedy. And that's the same tragedy we see in the church. Jesus has such wealth, such precious gifts, such marvelous, such a marvelous inheritance for us, but most of the church simply doesn't believe that it's true, that when Jesus says, this is my body, that he speaks the truth. And when he says, this is the blood of the New Testament, that he's speaking truly. They think that he lied, or that he's giving them a picture or a symbol. That the bread and the wine is a, uh, is a picture of the body and blood that's absent, not with us. We want to argue. And that's right to argue. To say that the words of our Lord Jesus are true. That Jesus doesn't lie. But we also want to weep. That they are living in such poverty. But this is not cause for pride. We need to know, too, that we need this gift as well. It's precisely for us in our poverty that Jesus gives it to us. Luther has this exercise in the large catechism. He says, what if you don't feel your need for the Lord's Supper? What should you do? He says, first, feel to make sure you still have flesh and blood. And if you still have flesh and blood, you ought to believe what the Bible says about your flesh and blood, that it's sinful above all things. The second thing you should do, Luther says, is open your eyes. So most of you, you some of you have to do that now. <laughs> open your eyes and look to see if you're still in the world. And if you're still in the world, believe what the Bible says about the world, that it's full of all sorts of temptation and trouble, full of sin and sickness and death. And the third thing you have to do is remember that the devil is constantly around you, trying to devour you, trying to destroy you, trying to stuff you head first into despair and sin and the grave. And, and, and this should be enough says Luther, your flesh and the world and your devil, that ought to be enough for you to know that you're in trouble, that you need some help from Jesus. But even if you don't know it, dear saints, which is hardly imaginable, if you don't know that you need help from Jesus, you should at least believe that Jesus gives you his body and blood for a reason. He knows your trouble, even if you don't, and he knows exactly what you need for that trouble, for that sin, for that flesh, for the world, to fight against the devil. He knows what you need. He knows you need his love. He knows that you need his mercy. He knows that you need his death on the cross and his resurrection on the third day. He knows that you need forgiveness. And so you would know that your sins are forgiven by Jesus. 
so you would know that the absolution, that the forgiveness of your sins has been spoken in heaven itself and that the Father has declared you to be holy and righteous so that you would know it and not doubt the Lord Jesus gives you a pledge. The most precious thing He can. His body into your mouth. His blood poured across your lips so that you would not doubt, but believe that He loves you, that He died for you, that you are His child, and you will be the, the joyful recipient of His inheritance forever. So, dear saints, the table is set. Jesus has for you the same gift that he had for Peter and the disciples and the church throughout the ages, your fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers in the faith, his body and blood, and your forgiveness. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.